I'm Peter Marks, theater critic of The Washington Post. I'm Elizabeth Vincentelli. I write for The New York Times and The New Yorker. And I'm Terry Teachout, drama critic of The Wall Street Journal. Welcome to episode 52 of Three on the Isle, a podcast from New York about theater in America. We're hosted by American Theater Magazine, a publication of the Theater Communications Group. Once again, the three of us are socially distanced, speaking to you from our homes in various corners of New York City. And yes, the lights are still out on Broadway and in all the rest of America's theaters, but theater in America is still very much alive and on unemployment, online and elsewhere. Uh, soon on this podcast, we'll, uh, we'll prove that theater is alive and well in some quarters uh, by talking to a guest who's helping to keep the fires uh, burning, the fires, the home fires, actually, if you think about it, burning. Yeah. Uh, then we'll uh, do what we often do on the podcast and pull out a choice and relevant letter from our bottomless mail ma- bit mail bag, uh, followed by our usual run around the table uh, to let you know what the three of us have been seeing or hearing on our backsides in our houses uh, since you last heard from us. <laughs> So, uh, our guest today, we're really excited to have uh, with us uh, Jeremy Ween, uh, who's the uh, co-founder and producer of Play Per View, uh, which is a new, uh, I guess we could call it a theater company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it feels accurate in this case. Um, and since March 26, which was their grand debut, uh, uh, with Lucas Nath, uh, Doll's House Part, I always want to say Part Deux. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, old habits die hard. A a reading of Adelsa's Part 2, starring uh, Maria Didia. Uh, And anyway, since March 26, uh, they've done, Play Per View has done live readings of 11 full-length play, uh, which is really striking. And they've had great cast. They've had Tessa Thompson and Michael Urie in Nora Highland. They had uh, Maureen Ireland and Morgan Spector in Iron Bound. Uh, they got mm. Kate Walsh to do the other plays, the Shar White uh, play. And the list goes on. Um, they have two more uh, coming up uh, that Jeremy will tell us about. Uh, so Jeremy is a very, very young, <laughs> to, to me, very young, very experienced. Um, I know. Uh, theater producer and director is the founder of the New York City Podcast Festival, which he ran from 2013 to 2018. And now he's really stepped up to the challenge. I mean, he's doing a great work. So, uh, hi, Jeremy. Thanks for joining us in the hi. virtual chat room. Thank you guys for and, having uh, me. It's really, it's really where nice are you to be speaking here. to us from, Jeremy? Um, I am in uh, Crown Heights, Brooklyn. Oh, uh, and I'm in Park Slope, Brooklyn. So not not too okay. far. Kind of neighbors. Um, so you have been doing an incredible job in the past well like what is it like a month and a half two months uh can you tell us uh well how did you get the idea how how did it start your first show was on march 26 i believe um uh yeah well first of all thank you for for saying such a nice thing um yeah i um i sent a tweet out this morning um from initial idea to our first reading uh, was 13 days. Wow. Uh, which is crazy. Um, that's, that's a crazy amount of time to try to put a regular reading together. Um, but it felt very whirlwindy. Um, you know, I, there was a sense that 
something it what this wasn't going to be like a three-day thing it wasn't like we were going to take the weekend off and we were going to come back on monday and everything was going to be back to normal um so it just there there was a sense of urgency and you know the second the door shut the the clock starts ticking and the money starts disappearing um and so every minute is crucial so it really was just about like you know we had several different ideas of like what we wanted the first reading to be and we were uh kind of working on that and essentially it was like okay we want to do this first event on the 26th this is the one that is pretty much good to go we're going to go with that and it ended up being a doll's house part two and uh ten, um we are now coming up on our 13th reading which will be permission by robert askins and um yeah, it's been like a real whirlwind. <laughs> Back up just a little bit, if you will. Uh, how did the coin drop and you realized, I want to do this, this thing? I, you know, it was just, you know, from from what it is right now versus what the initial idea was is radically different. The idea that was thought of was, you know, we would get performers all together in a room and we would just film whatever and we would, but as literally from day to day, it went from, okay, no gatherings of 500 people or more, no gatherings of a hundred right, people right. or more, no gatherings right. of 50. And then it was like, no one can be in the same room together. And so the whole thing really shifted rapidly. It was like trying to figure out where the, the foot's going to fall, but the ground keeps moving. Did you wonder if, Jeremy, did you wonder if this would even be technically feasible that you could actually find on a platform like Zoom the ability to converse across digital divides and make it seem seamless or make it seem like a single production? Was there a worry? So, I mean, it, there was conversation of what the platform was going to be. Um, it wasn't always like Zoom was not like the the be all end all, you know, we were, it, it was being looked at as, um, what if Twitch uh, was an answer? Uh, what if uh, YouTube was the answer? Um, Zoom seemed to be this thing that it's surprisingly been around for a really long time, but it just seemed to just pop out right. of nowhere. Um, and Zoom just kind of seemed like, okay, let's throw into this and see what it is. I mean, that first reading really was flying by the seat of our pants in a way. Um, I, I had talked to uh, Peter about this, I believe. Our first reading, we only had an hour with our performers. And then we had a half hour call the night of, and then we just, we winged into it. And it was just, I think it was a testament. <laughs> Is somebody flying yes, through there's a, somebody's there's a, house? There's a chopper going over my house, but it's gone. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Leave that in. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> so you were saying, Jeremy? Um, um, it it's a real. It was a real testament to a couple of things. I mean, first of all, we had, I mean, we had Maria Dizia, Linda Powell, Stuart Zagnet. Like we had like people on that first reading that were just like pros. I mean, it's a whole different format, but like, these are people that can pick up a script. They can do a cold read. They just get it and they wow. sink into it. And it also was just like, I knew 
I knew that Stuart Zagnet would be perfect for that part. We knew Maria would be great for that part. We knew that Linda would be really good for that part. But it really was like trial by fire. The hope was we would jump on Zoom and do this and hope that it came together. And, you know, the response we got from people after that first reading was just really um, the best moment was, uh, you know, it ended and on Zoom, there's a there's a chat feature. And what was really interesting was no one no one was using it. Everyone was being very <laughs> everyone was being very polite. And the reading ended yeah. and the chat exploded wow. with comments. Yeah, it was kind of amazing. I wish I had like taped it. It just was like boom, 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 boom. Applause. This is amazing. Thank you so much, etc. Like people, I think people were just so right. grateful after two weeks of just having nothing mm-hmm. to just having some going on some kind of journey together with other people. Well, you know, talking about a conversation, what's interesting is you talk about a chat, suddenly the conversation is national. You can, I mean, you know, it's this imperfect form in many ways. It doesn't, you know, we can't do everything you do in a live theater performance, but suddenly you can be talking to people, you know, before we've always thought about the idea of how do you converse uh, about a play uh, when people live in Arizona and in Maine. And now I'm sure uh, the, the connection's instantaneous. It's kind of fascinating what has been activated by this process. The next step after Twitter in a way. Right. <laughs> it, um, it It's really kind of, for me, it's kind of beautiful in the sense of um, we've had people um, buying, um, quote, tickets, um, donation slots is what we call them. Um, Hawaii, um, you know, uh, we ha- had someone buy, they were in Berlin. Um, it, you know, it's really, it's not just this, New York, Chicago, LA thing. I mean, of course, that when you look at our information, that is where a lot of the numbers are coming from. But um, you know, I just got an email this morning from someone going, "Hey, are you um are you thinking about maybe different performance times cuz you know, I'm I'm in London and you know, we're craving content over here cuz I don't to my knowledge outside of what National Theater's doing and I think the old Vic just kind of announced, um there's mm-hmm. not a ton of content and that's and that's pre-tapes mm-hmm. um yeah. this um i haven't really seen anything similar to what we're doing and what you're seeing more people doing over on this side of the atlantic i haven't seen that over there it's been remarkably slow it's true actually that's one of the things that's emerged that uh how some of the bigger institutions have been kind of slow in creating new things and some of the smaller ones or new ones like yours have been a lot faster because there's not that baggage of like, what are we going to do? We have to have our season. We're going to, you know, like you start. What's our brand? What's our brand? So to speak. Right. Well, I, I think that what we're seeing is a new change in the ecology of theater in which innovation is coming from the bottom up. And what you're doing, Jeremy seems to me like the quintessential example of this, uh, uh, the coin drops, you get an idea 13 days later, you're on. And uh, we're going to see a lot more of that, I believe. I mean, I think you've, I think you've already seen it. I mean, compared to six weeks ago, it's so funny. Everyone was like, "What are we going to do? We're not going to have it. We're not going to have it." And it's just like every day, it just seems like there is more and more and more content. You know, Adam Feldman does a really great kind of mm-hmm. thing every single day. Yeah. And I am just watching the list every day get longer and longer. And like our first or second week, there were maybe 
five or six things Mm -hmm. on that. And now there's like easily a dozen. I just saw the Playbill uh, thing that went out that's breaking down all the stuff through the weekend. And it is just, Mm -hmm. yeah, it is just a list my stuff. my first uh, show that I saw was uh, on play preview was Jonathan Karen's uh, Four Woke Bays, which turned out to be a delightful and very smart way to produce that play about four guys on a camping trip, young like post millennials uh, who uh, you know think they're still hip and you know are run into a young woman who really threatens everybody in different ways. Um, but I once, so it made me wonder, how do you pick the plays? How do you decide what is your, uh, ballpark? You got a wish list. So I, so I think it's a variety of things. So, um, first of all, um, you know, a lot of the, the plays that we have done have come as a result of my personal connections that I've built over the last 10 years. Um, while I am, uh, respectively like, within the community somewhat younger. Wait, ha, ha, how old are you? I'm, are you going to kill? You're going to tell. He's Sorry, 14. Wanna, He's 14. I don't want to number. Um, <laughs> I, I, I am 29. Um, I, I moved to New York when I was 20, and I've really built relationships over the last 10 years um, that I've used in other instances, but really I bank them for stuff like this. You know, I started, I started the first... Um, East Coast podcast festival, which ran for six years. And that was like a big, that was like my first big gamble after having only lived here for four years. I essentially was like, I'm going to cash the chips in and see how this goes. This is another instance of that. So, you know, I immediately, I was like, okay, who, who do I know? I was like, I know Lucas Nath. He'll definitely jump in with something. I feel confident. Um, so it, it really, a lot of these have been built out of like personal relationships. Um, some of them have come about because, for example, Marin Ireland wanted to do something with us. Uh, and we were like, well, what do you want to do? <laughs> she was like, well, you know, I'd love to revisit Ironbound, which is Martina Mayoke's play before she won the Pulitzer. So that was really great for us because it was the entire original New York cast it, it was now going back to it, having now the writer won a Pulitzer. So now people are like, ooh, here's a chance to see her earlier work. It's our best-selling title so far. Mm. Um, but it's, it's, that, it's a lot of that. But then, for example, uh, Jonathan's play, um, I was actually in L.A. at the end of February, um, and he actually uh, messaged me. He was like, hey, we're doing a reading of this play. Um, I'd love for you to come. And there were a bunch of people in it I really loved, but I was already seeing something that night. So, you know, when everything started going down, I was like, well, you know, it'd be really nice if we could get that cast together and do something. So I was like, will you send me the script? And I read it and I was like, I was like, oh, this is this might be complicated to pull off and how we're doing this. But I think this is like a really great, interesting, funny examination of like gender dynamics. Um, and it was great too, because it gave us a opportunity to do something West coast based. Almost everyone on that reading was in LA except for Evan cabinet. Um, he was the only person on the East coast. So it's, it's like a mix of things. You know, we've had people reach out. I have a wish list of, you know, stuff. It's just a matter of pulling it off or if some, you know, there's more stuff popping up and 
we've had a couple things on the board and someone kind of beat us to it. And so it's like, okay, <laughs> got to take that title off the yeah. board. I take That's that great. title off the board. You I know. have a technical question. Uh, musicians who use Zoom to perform in ensembles all tell me that it, it presents uh, problems of delay and synchronization. And as a result, it's, it's quite hard for them to do fast pieces of music. It can be tricky for jazz musicians to perform together. Um, does this affect you in what you are doing with your shows? And if so, how do you deal with it? <clears throat> well, so first of all, um, it's kind of zeroed out us being able to do musicals. Um, if, it, you know, we've, we've played with the idea of like, could we possibly do the last five years if both people were playing their own pianos and, mm. you know, like that kind of idea. Um, you know, we, we think that there's maybe creative ways to kind of find ideas, you know, like I thought the, um, you, you couldn't do something like it live, but I think the sing street thing that they did was really, really great and creative. And I think, um, I don't know if it was Peter that said this when we talked, um, uh, last week, but I think it, it was either Peter or someone said, whoever figures out a way to synchronize music with performers is going to make a ton of money. <laughs> yeah. Um, it is, it is the latency is a challenge. So, you know, there isn't, um, we're not doing musicals. Now, that being said, we're able to do sound effects. Um, we've been running shows um, that have music cues. Um, you know, Four Woke Bays had a Pharrell song that played at one point. Um, so it's it's definitely a challenge, and it limits some of the material that we would want to kind of try to do. Um because we're not interested in pre-taping these. I'm no. seeing that start to pop up. And I think once you do that, it just becomes a film. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I think the second you pre-tape this and you can, it's, you lose a lot of like the, the intrigue of this. I think this is similar to the live musicals that were on NBC and stuff. Like I feel part of like the fun of watching something like this. And, you know, this was, Peter, when you um, when you watch How to Load a Musket, you know, it is kind of a high wire of the technology. <laughs> yes, like, right. you know, it's like it, it in for the performers to a degree, it does it does put them in the mind frame of like this is like we're on like who any quote anything can happen. There, you know, there, there um, was an old guy. You're making me think of <laughs> the days in the 50s of live TV network drama when everybody mm -hmm. said that this element of it was what caused the excitement. And when Playhouse 90 first started pre-recording some of their shows, poof. I mean, it was the same actors, same directors, but something disappeared. Well, we live, we live in such a meta world that it, it actually all, your, your, your brain adjusts immediately. During How to Load a Musket, one of the actors sort of dropped out uh, in terms of digitally. And another actor like looked up, I think she actually looked up to the cube. It looked like to me and she said, oh, we're, uh, oh, okay, well, we're, we, we have to, uh, she's gone away for a minute. You know I mean? It was like, but it was lovely. It, it worked, yeah. mm -hmm. which and I, I, which leads me to a question, Jeremy, when you describe, you know, this idea of uh, the, the of the creative ways to use this. Do you think or do you want plays that might be written for play per view? 
it's it's an idea that's been discussed. Um, I think I think the the writers who are going to be really smart are going to be the ones that try to make work for this. Um, and you're already seeing some writers are taking their pre-existing work and actually adapting it for this form. Mm -hmm. I just saw the the uh, the team the title of show team. Um, they took now hear this, which is mm -hmm. a four person, very biographical piece. I saw it at the Vineyard, and they've essentially broken it apart for schools to essentially be able to do um, via Zoom for essentially up to as many stories are within that show. Um, and, mm. and then um, Peter, I'm gonna get this name wrong again. Uh, Quay Nguyen. Yeah. Um, Nguyen. He he already inherently writes in multimedia. I saw I saw Revenge Song at the Geffen, which was just puppets and video screens and music and effects and sword fights and all this other stuff. And um, he's already taken uh, She Kills Monsters and has readapted it for specifically mm -hmm. for Zoom, which it, mm -hmm. again I you know I. It, it hurts my heart to say this. This is not a short term scenario that we're in. Mm -hmm. And I think I think, you know, I think there's resistance from certain corners of the industry to embrace what's going on. But in all honesty, if people want to bring revenue in and they want to keep their name in the picture right now, I think this is some of the projects that you want to jump in on. I uh, I had a. Was it last week? You know, I, I think some of the uh, more state corners of the industry are really, I, I agree, they're not getting this. I was trying to watch uh, November, the uh, David Mamet. I don't know if you, any of you try to watch that. It, it was just, I mean, it's not a good play to begin with, but <laughs> the way it was staged and with people that I really like, John Malkovich and Paddy Lupone, but it was incredibly state. But what was uh, very interesting is so at the same time, I was toggling between that and a student production of um, Chikil's Monsters, the Queen Guyan uh, play. And I'll just say that November had 600 people watching and the kids had twi twice that. Wow. So uh, interesting. With, you know, I mean, they had no, I twice that with no, it was just a university production. The other guys had like a professional PR team pushing and, and stars. They had 600 people watching. Was that the Maryland, University of Maryland production? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. They had 1,500 people watching. Wow. When I, talk, when I talk to regional theater directors, I'm hearing there are two kinds of people. There are the ones who are thinking, all right, this is a stopgap. And we're going to put this in place as a way of getting back to normal. And there are the others who are saying, this is going to be a permanent part of our theater ecology. And we need to integrate it into our operations. Uh, uh, it's not, it's not going to go away even if the pandemic goes away. And I think they're the ones who are right. I, I mean, I, I think there's always this conversation that comes up over and over again, and it's you know, the demographics of theater, like who goes to the theater. My, my honest feeling is you, these video pieces and stuff like that, this is a way to get younger demographics interested, involved through the door because it suddenly doesn't seem like, quote, this stodgy, dry, 
it's like, oh, this is like on Twitch when I watch this guy play video. You know what I mean? When you when you digitize it to a certain degree, suddenly it's yeah. not thought of as like, you know, the stereotypical guys in tights with the skull. And, you know, you always <laughs> see that. You know what I mean? When you ever see like a bad sitcom or whatever, like the 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 archetypal what is drama is like two guys in like tights with with hamlets with the skull, et cetera, et cetera. I, I honestly think that, um, to, to go back to Elizabeth talking about November, um, I think there's also a divide of people that are doing this for the right reason and people that are doing this for maybe not the right reasons. Um, I, I say this respectfully, um, when you're the second most powerful producer on Broadway, why are you doing this? Like, it's just that's, what that's a good question. I mean, why? that's the key question. But it's, yeah, why? It sure but it's just like, why but, except to keep your name in the picture? Right. And it feels very stopgappy. Even the press release that went out about all of that was, well, we hope that this will whet people's appetites and keep them interested so that when the doors reopen, <laughs> they will come. And it's like you look at it and it's just like this isn't being done for the right reasons. I mean, our initiative was getting money into the hands of nonprofits and also community organizations that needed it as fast as possible. Um, and also specifically people within our community that, and again, I say this very respectfully and I acknowledge all the good that they do. They do. There are parts of our infrastructure that do not qualify for grants through the actors fund or through BCEFA the bartenders you see working, mm-hmm. the the merchandise people that are selling $80 t-shirts to people, they don't qualify for this kind of stuff. The Actors Fund and BCEFA are more individualized support as well. So like, for example, the Secret Theater in Queens just went under. Um, mm-hmm. Shelter yeah. Studios just went under. So my feeling is, where is the big $10 million fundraiser for the, this part of the the circle so i look at stuff like you know the november in that whole line of programming that's being rolled out and i just go this doesn't feel like it's being done for the good of the community it feels like it's business it's a it's a business move ultimately well, well, here's uh, just to say, you know, just like it took 13 days only for you to get from concept to uh, proof of concept, uh, you know, we have to take into consideration the shock that these people that the mm-hmm. Broadway community is undergoing now. They're still mm-hmm. trying to absorb all this. You know, we are only two months into this, and they're, you know, they're sort of their heads have to be, you know, completely uh, sort of consumed with the waves that that are coming at them in a, at a different level. So I do feel for Broadway mm-hmm. and, and maybe these, you know, these other things that don't quite work the way yours does are going to fall by the wayside there. They don't have staying power. You have commitment to this process and it shows. Um, uh, how many, by the way, let's just uh, advance this. How many more? So what is, what is coming up for you? What, what shows are you doing that we can look forward to? So um, May 18th, we have Permission by Robert Askins. Um, this was his... F- a wonderful play that didn't get its due, it, by it the way. It just kind of came and went. Um, we, it, it came and went. This was Rob's follow-up to Hand to God, and it really just kind of yeah. 
disappeared and um it's it's not available for license um rob has never he's so the version that we're actually presenting is uh revised mm. uh there's new pages um it's never been been available for license so unless you saw it at mcc um there's been no other opportunity as far as i know to see it because i don't believe it's been done regionally anywhere else um no. we had the rehearsal last night I was screaming with laughter. I mean, the ensemble that we have okay. for this reading is... I is, am definitely standing up for that one. I am so standing up for that one. I raved about that play in the journal. Not, yeah. not just that, but I believe I believe that you have the cast that was originally intended for... Is that correct? Yes. So um, like, this, the whole impetus of this was um, I wanted to do a reading to benefit... Uh, Ensemble Studio Theater, EST. Um, again, just looking at, you know, what are some companies that are maybe on the smaller side of things that can't can't go a year without producing anything and need something substantial. Um, I've 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 become very good friends with Steve Boyer over the years. And so, you know, I reached out to him and he went, he said this, and he was like, Well, you know, Rob Askins wrote permission for me and Will Harper. And I was like, really? And I was like, that's a no brainer. And then uh, <laughs> reaching. Well, so like, for well, I mean, look at it on paper. You're going to put together the Tony nominated star of Hand to God with the writer. And then we brought in Moritz von Stoppenagel. So now you've got that threesome. And on top of it, uh, William Jackson Harper, which is, who's coming off the good place and ha is super high profile. Um, and it was the only question we kind of had was the last 35 minutes of that play are very physical, mm -hmm. like very, mm. very physical. Yeah. And that was the only kind of question that we had. But the rehearsal last night, again, it's a testament to how it, it really does kind of come down to the performers in a way, because if they feel connected, they'll make the audience feel connected to what's going mm -hmm. on. And so this is a play where the last 30 minutes, people are hitting each other with belts. They're making out like it gets very racy and very physical, but it, it something about it just it, it works. And I just I can't wait for people to see that. And then um, the other one that we've announced um, on uh, May 22nd is uh, Jonathan Spector's Eureka Day, um, which was super sold out off Broadway. Um, it was at Walker Space, so it was 65 seats. Um, for people who aren't familiar, this is essentially a play about a, um, a like, um, it's a great play, a daycare kind of like, like pre-kindergarten kind of, uh, school. And it's all in Berkeley, California. And it's all of these parents, uh, they're very much like liberal Democrat parents. And there's been a mumps outbreak and suddenly the topic on everyone's lips is vaccines, which yes. is... Because uh, some parents uh, some parents uh, refuse to uh, vaccine their kids and it just... Uh, and it all takes place, I don't know if you guys have seen it, it all takes place in these meetings of the, of the board. It's basically like two, a couple of meetings, that's it. And the board discusses what to do and then it emerges that someone on the board is anti-vaccine and it's just completely it's incredible it's a great play it's really good and i think that should work really well actually on on zoom yeah we're um it, it, this is the other thing that's been so interesting about this is that you know um 
I, I, I talked about this, uh, Peter, and it's uh, in the really great uh, Washington Post article that came out that people should read. Um, <laughs> um, we accept, we accept <laughs> bugs. Um, so um, we, we position what we're doing as readings plus. Um, we're really striving for this not to be people staring at their screen and reading and sitting there and reading and sitting there and reading, and then it's over. We're actively, we've been very fortunate. Pretty much every reading we've done so far, the writers have been active within the process, which for me is just really amazing. And it, like the the fringe benefit of this is like, you know, I, I want to produce like theater. It, the position I'm in right now, I, I don't think I would be working with Martina Mayok or some of these people. Um, so that's right. what's been like a really amazing kind of fringe benefit of this is like, I'm working with Tony winners and Tony nominees and Pulitzer winners. And um, we're, we're encouraging the approach of this to be lean into this, lean into the form you know what? Uh, you know some of these some of these pieces. There have been adjustments. You know the end of Four Woke Bays. Uh, normally the the character it's a monologue and he looks out into the audience and he goes, "I told my story. Who's going to go next?" We just slightly adjusted it and the line became, "We're all on Zoom now. Who's going to tell their story next?" And it totally changes the entire thing you've just spent ninety minutes watching because the character, because suddenly you go. Oh, I did it. They weren't where I thought they actually were. They are right. all in the position that we're sitting in. So for us, we're like, we're trying to look for these moments. We did a reading of Char White's The Other Place, and there's uh, a track called The Man, and it's three very small parts. But our performer said, you know, I'm between my second and third character, I'm going to shave off all my facial hair. <laughs> And he did. And it was like, it was a moment that people like people on our people on our Twitter afterwards were like, people went, oh, my God, I didn't even realize that. Like, you know, it's, we're looking for we're looking for these these moments, you know, we're looking for uh, it, we, we, we utilize something called screen magic, which is, you know, it, it creates this effect. I know it's an audio podcast, so people aren't going to see what I'm doing. But essentially, if you position your hand past your computer camera to a certain extent, it kind of looks like you're handing something to someone. So suddenly someone is, yeah. um, mm -hmm. you know, hands me a piece of paper and I pull it over and it looks like, you know, mm -hmm. you've handed me a soda or papers or mm -hmm. in the instance of four woke pays, uh, rifles, mm -hmm. uh, which was super fun. So, you know, we're, we're trying to find ways to connect our performers without them being connected. I don't know what the original question was, and I'm sorry that answer was so long. Um, <laughs> no, that was great. That gave insight. That's the best kind of answer. <laughs> and uh, and what people out there will not realize, when I was, we're watching each other on Skype as we're having this conversation and looking at Terry and Elizabeth and Erica's faces light up at just <laughs> your excitement. Yeah. Uh, the idea spilling out of you, Jeremy, is inspirational. It all <laughs> makes us feel like, you know, we can go on, because, you know, there's you know, because happening. there's been a lot of yes. uh, there's been a lot of uh, and hand wringing and, and deservedly so. I mean, it's a scary time. Uh, and a lot of the, 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 the sky is falling off, you know, 
mixed with, we're going to come back in a month in, in, okay, no, I mean, in two months. No, I mean, in, in six months. Well, you know, it's this idea of we're coming back, but no, you're right. We have to make things happen now in the now with what we have, because we have no idea what's going to happen. We really don't. And it's clueless pretending, not clueless, but it's pointless pretending that it'll be back in September or right. January. I mean, it's, 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 I mean, I said, I've, I've said this to a lot of people. There are people trying to rush back to a normal that is never going to exist again. And until right. they acknowledge that they're going to, they're just going to cause, they're going to cause energetic damage by not being able to sit down and admit, okay, there is, we may not be back for two years. We may only ever be able to produce solo shows. We may have to do theater in the woods for the rest of our, you know, my hope right. is that it doesn't string out that long, but you know, I mean, when Disney is folding frozen, I think that's a pretty clear indicator that this isn't going to be a short term thing. And I think the other thing too, that people aren't putting together is, uh, you know, they keep going, well, why is this being strung out like this? Why is this being strung out like this? And, you know, you also have to keep in mind there's insurance policies and paperwork and stuff that doesn't kick in until certain points. I saw mm -hmm. a whole, uh, I do, I do venture onto Broadway world from time to time, whatever your opinion of that may be. <laughs> um, there was a thread where someone was like, I don't understand why they don't cancel music man now. I uh, give people their money back because right. people need that money right now. And I think that there is, um, there is somewhat of a misunderstanding that, until there there is a scenario where the government the 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 state of New York if the the state of New York declares this their insurance policy kicks in if it right. mm -hmm. so they can't just throw this money back out because then it's like oh what if we can actually go back up in 3 months now we have nothing in reserve we have no advance sales and now we're definitely in a problem but i think it's you know i i think that Regardless, my feeling is, is that this is, I think this is a great tool. I mean, I was, I was on a call with some folks at Center Theater Group and one, and I, and I was like, you know, this is a great way to do readings so that you don't have to fly people to New York. You don't have to fly people to LA. You don't have to fly people to your regional theater in Minnesota. That's maybe looking for uh, extra money because they want their set to kind of look nicer or anything like that. You know, how easy would it be as a, as a producer to just sit wherever you are and watch five readings in one day and not have to get on a plane, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think the, 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 the kind of the problem is, is that some of the unions that specifically equity, yeah. equity doesn't want to give up the game because they know that they feel like the second that they do all bets are off. And I think that's, I think that's problematic to a degree. Um, you know, I think there's been less restriction, but you know, there was that big thing with Red Bull theater that happened right as this was starting where they wanted to do right. this reading. And you know, that, that felt like to me, like equity stepping on the neck and shooting, shooting across right. the bow to a degree. But then it was kind of, ex it was explained mm -hmm. a little bit clearer of yeah. what the situation ended up being that it was like, oh, well, you know, you were on equity contracts, you're a physical space, you're et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
Yeah. New York is a particularly disadvantageous place for this kind of innovation. And I think that we're going to be seeing it in other areas precisely because of this issue. Well, uh, we we have to have Jeremy back for six more <laughs> podcasts. Yes. Because uh, he's, uh, he's kind of spellbinding on this subject. And I could listen to you... Uh, uh, Jeremy, I've, I've, I drank your Kool-Aid. I, I, my, my mood has completely like brightened well, up. This is yeah. this is actually an can, opportunity. Yeah. Can I can <laughs> I ask can I ask you guys one question before um, before sure. we call this a day? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I listened to the last episode that you guys put out where you were kind of talking about you know digital theater and all that kind of stuff. Have any of your opinions about this stuff kind of changed since the last time you recorded? The podcast, I definitely know Peter has shifted somewhat because this was all in the impetus of an article that he had written, um, which I, I feel very happy that um, um, we, he, um, for, for background, his article essentially positioned, you know, um, theater is butter. This is margarine. I can't really get into it. And I said to him, I was like, you should come check out our thing. We're more like cream cheese. We're somewhere else on the spread arc. But for but Terry and Elizabeth, are you have you are you starting to? I I was always kind of I mean personally I was always kind of in the middle. Uh, I was not entirely pro and entirely against. Uh, it's such a case by case thing. Uh, I, I feel I'm a little bit maybe more uh, jaundiced than you. I I'm not sure this is gonna. I'm not sure digital productions or readings are gonna kind of convert. A lot of new folks, I think the people who will get into them are the people who are already somewhat into theater. Um, I don't think anybody's going to come to them cold, what's never seen theater in real life and think, this this is amazing. This is what I want to do. But I think people already have a taste for it. And that can be very young people too. But I think people who already have a taste for it will be kind of comforted in that and, and given hope. Well, Jeremy, I I drank the Kool-Aid the first week. Uh, I've been covering, reviewing theater webcasts mm-hmm. like performances since the week Broadway closed. And I've been I reading believe, them. I believe devoutly <laughs> that this is going to be an integral part of what American theater is going to be like going forward. I, I expect it. I well, encourage it. All right. Well, you know, I'm not as much of a genius as Elizabeth or Terry, but I will say in my own defense, my my imp- the impetus for that article was just a worry that we were going to go down this rabbit hole of filmed plays that felt like uh, something uh, of, of meager uh, imaginative quality. And it has shifted. Yeah. And thanks to Jeremy uh, steering me uh, very early on to uh, Play Purview, uh, which is available online at playperview.com. Play-purview.com. There you go. Yes. Um, Thank you. So, so for that reason uh, alone, I have had my head turned, and I um, and I thank him for that, and also to other people who are experimenting and and succeeding. So, so thank you, Jeremy, on behalf of all of us for joining us today. As I said, we're signing you up for the deluxe uh, uh, appearance uh, contract, <laughs> which will which will. Rec- which will require your presence constantly. I mean, I'm I'm happy to come back on whenever Good. you you need me to. This has been Wonderful. such a pleasure, and it really is um, such an honor. We didn't even get to talk about uh, 
the the fun theater experience that me and Elizabeth had together, but we can save that for the next time oh, I come yes. on. Yeah, <laughs> I've heard that story. In real life. I've heard In that, real that'll, life. That'll yeah. keep us for next for our next yes, encounter. Absolutely. Leave them wanting more, right? <laughs> We're just <Indeed>. tantalizing, <laughs> yeah. tantalizing the audience. Right. So thanks yeah. again for talking so clearly and articulately about what you're doing and what it means. It is indeed inspiring to us all. Oh, thank you so much. It means a lot. So, uh, God, okay, back to the mailbag, uh, which I think people have time to write letters, which is great for us. Um, and here's a letter from John Stolenberg, uh, who's writing from Washington, D.C., and he's asking us a very challenging question. Uh, Erica Huang, our producer, uh, will serve as John's stand-in. Uh, Erica? This is a question for each of you about the prospect of reopening theaters shut down by the pandemic. At what point will you personally feel comfortable going back to a theater to review a live performance? What would you need to know or have happen in order to feel assured enough about your own safety such that you could focus on the performance without being distracted by anxiety about getting infected? That's mm. kind of a good question. And I've been, I myself have been thinking about it in a personal way because there's a good chance that I'm going to be the first one of us who actually has to grapple with this question. I cover summer theater up in the Berkshires and Barrington Stage, which is one of New England's most important summer companies, has now announced plans to resume performances on a limited basis in August with a slate of one-person shows, readings, concerts, and an outdoor performance of South Pacific. Uh, they've announced that 70% of the seats in the main stage house are going to be taken out of the theater. They'll be taking all the precautions you'd expect, you know, no intermissions, uh, you know, diff the, the things that are going to make it easier to prevent congregation and keep the audience safe. So I, I've been reviewing Barrington Sage for years, and I'm giving very serious thought as to whether or not I'll feel comfortable going up there this summer, and I'm not going to lie to you. I haven't made up my mind yet. I want to. I need to. I think it's important to. And I'm not sure that I have the nerve to. It may well depend on how things are going uh, in this part of the country, uh, in Massachusetts come August. Um, I don't want to get sick. I don't think anybody wants to get sick. I think everything that they're doing makes sense. I think they ought to be able to bring this off. And I think it may simply be a question of, in my case, my own individual courage. Uh, I wish I could... I wish I could put it differently from that, but that's the truth. Well, here, uh, that's interesting, Terry. I, I will be really curious to see what decision you make. Here's my worry. You know, it, it's at this stage, what message does it send to other theater goers if we go? Uh, is that a tacit endorsement of taking the risk if that's what it feels like? And so the question becomes, do you have to quarantine your review for two weeks before it runs to make sure you didn't get sick as a result yeah. of going that night to the, sh to the show? Uh, because you're becoming a canary in the mind for yes. readers, essentially. That's a good way of putting it. Uh, I'm, I'm, the, the message I've gotten from my organization is that I won't be compelled to do anything I don't feel is safe. And that really goes to the heart of John's question. You know, when does that happen? Well, how is that a different decision for us than it is for the vast majority of governors and 
producers, if you take the take do groups in particular, and what they say, I'm uh, my last thought is I don't understand what Barrington Stage is doing. I don't understand how they feel comfortable uh, knowing that this is going to be a safe situation when uh, there's still advisories from almost every sector of the scientific community saying, you know, stay at home. So at this point, John, I I am going to really err on the side of caution. Um, I'm not going to think about so much the value of the art as the value of human lives. The journal is not requiring me to do anything that I feel uncomfortable doing. This decision is going to be left in my hands. And um, we've got a, we've got quite a bit of time between now and then to see how things change. Maybe they will change their minds. Yeah, for, for me, it's tricky because so much of the decision also depends on other people's behavior. And I am not encouraged by the very lax attitude of too many people that see around me on the street. So am I going to go to a theater where there's some idiots who decide that they don't have to wear a mask because they're, I don't know, they're a superior specimen of the human race that doesn't get sick or doesn't pass along sickness. Um, like when I see the lack of, of responsibility, I mean, there's a sense of collective responsibility that's engaged. And when I see the lack of respect for others that people on the street show, I am really not encouraged by uh, the discipline that will be required. Because the thing is, if we go to the theater, we love, we all have to show discipline. And that seems to be too much for some. That seem, would seem to take things to think that they can't be bothered with it. You know what I mean? It's just, like if you can't trust others to behave, it's part of the social contract. Going to the theater is a social contract with others, even in, in the best of times. You turn off your phone, you do all that. And we all know there's always someone who doesn't do it, who doesn't care. And except now it can have a lot worse consequences. So I don't want to be around the equivalent of the idiot who doesn't want to turn off their phone because there's such an important right. call. And that same idiot may be the same person who thinks that they're not going to wear a mask. Yeah. Right. Small, small theater. You are controlling access to that room. One thing you can mm -hmm. make sure and what they will make sure is that everybody who goes in there has got a mask on. I mean, they'll have. Right. You know, they're, I, I haven't gone into excruciating detail about their plans, but they have gone into some detail in announcing them. Everything sounds smart. Everything seems to make sense on paper. It sounds to me like it ought to work. Uh, the question is, uh, how how confident am I of of the world, of the virus, of uh, all right? You know, I just don't know. Mm. Okay, so yeah. let me let me present to you a a theater phenomenon that you both are very well acquainted with, and that is <laughs> the theater cough. Oh. You know that in a boring oh, yeah. production or in a in a lull in a production, it's an infectious uh, reflex. One person coughs, you hear ten people cough. Even if they don't have to cough, they cough. It, you know, we've watched, we've listened to this for years and years and years. I I, I assume you guys know what I'm talking about. Oh God! So let's yes. just say. Oh yes. So I'm just wondering the first at the first theater cough, which now feels like a sinister possible uh, reflex, how does that not clear the theater or how do you not, you know, become obsessed with that person and right. whether or not they're spreading, they're spraying? Um, yeah. I, I'm very, um, I'm very uh, uh, reluctant to subject myself even to that, that worry. 
so yeah, we, weird is you know that really speaks to the feeling that that person can't harm me. You know, you've got to feel that person right. cannot endanger my health any more than you know you are subjected to to in any public place the possibility of getting air cold or sick. I am. I'm, I'm certain we're not going to see a production of Camille for a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good point. That's yeah. a very good point. That play, or, that play in that opera, no, or don't. It's a rewritten Camille. She does fine. Yeah, she's happy ending. She, happy ending. She, what? What consumption? Julianne. No, look, she 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 has a stomach bug right. now. Yeah, it's, exactly. She's not Julianne Boyd is one of the smartest, <laughs> most serious theater people I know. There is no way that she's going into this casually or lightly. Uh, I, I, insofar as yeah. I'm capable of trusting anybody's judgment, I would trust hers. But it's hers over mine. And I'm the one ultimately who has to say, am I going to go in and sit in that seat and maybe be, you know, four seats away from the coffer? And if that happens, what do I do? Right. And... Uh, come back and talk to me in August. That's all I can tell you right now. Right? I mean, and also the thing is like things have been changing so fast. Uh, who knows yeah. what's going to happen between now and That's August? Right. It's it's just impossible to say. Right. I mean, some countries that like South Korea, they were doing fine, and apparently now they have more clusters reappearing. Mm-hmm. I mean, who who knows? Right, but I and they these guys were doing fine. I know. I, I do think that you know we know there's not going to be a cure for this by August. Uh, and that's really good. I mean, yeah. we know. I mean, there's just no, no one's going right. to come with a miracle. Even, you know, uh, uh, yeah, th- that's no. just not going to happen. Um, ultimately, uh, ultimately, though, you know, we, the three of us can't, uh, we're not going to be able to decide this. It's it's um, it's going to be an, uh, an ongoing debate and question that we're yeah. going to struggle with. Uh, and, and to paraphrase the old saying, if you want to hear God laugh, announce a theater schedule. <laughs> right. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so that's a, a nice uh, segue uh, to our theater schedules. And uh, Elizabeth, we come to that point in our podcast where we talk about what we've seen and now obviously exclusively online. But Elizabeth, what is what it's, has been in your uh, neighborhood uh, of uh, theater going? I uh, I watched uh, Bill Irwin's uh, new I, I hesitated to call it a play, but his new piece, uh, which is. 10 minute long, uh, and it's called, uh, in zoom. Uh, it's a piece for two people. He performed that with Christopher Fitzgerald, this wonderful, uh, physical actors. They're both were really, uh, two great physical actors and it's a zoom play. Uh, and, uh, they try to do things and I think they're really going in the right direction. They try to make, it was a clown piece basically on zoom, uh, where they would, for instance, physically freeze. You know, when your screen freeze, uh, freezes and they would do that by not moving. And uh, and I think it was really mostly successful in terms of playing with the depth of the little Zoom box, uh, what you can see in and out of the, of the box. Uh, and I feel like it was a little teaser for something bigger that could really work. So I really hope that Bill Irwin who of all people I think is very well equipped to handle this challenge. Uh, I want to see more of that. And that was a production uh, from the Old Globe in San Diego. So kind of like, you know, old school theater, kind of uh, 
did that. Oh, and I thought I wanted to put in a word for another production from the West Coast, from the Geffen Playhouse, uh, renamed the Geffen Stayhouse, uh, The Present, a, a magic show on Zoom that worked incredibly well. Uh, really, really, really compelling. Uh, and I highly recommend it. Apparently it's sold out, uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if they extend it. I highly recommend it. Uh, Terry? Uh, uh, what about you? Uh, I know you're, as you've uh, pointed out, even today, you're you're doing weekly theater webcast reviews uh, in the Wall Street Journal. So what uh, what's on your plate this week? Well, until this week, everything I reviewed had been out of town. Um, I have been specifically reviewing full length plays. That's been the the basic standard for what what I'm putting into the paper. And we finally had in New York an important off-Broadway company, the Irish Repertory Theater, doing a revival of a very important play, Brian Friel's Molly Sweeney, which could have been made for a performance on Zoom. Because what it is, is a play that has three characters, none of whom speak to one another. They, it's a series of interlocking monologues that are addressed to the audience. And it's the story, it's based on one of Oliver Sacks' pieces about a, a woman who in middle age undergoes an operation that restores her sight and what happens to her and to the two men, her husband and the surgeon who basically push her into doing this. Uh, uh, the Irish Rep revived this play in 2011. It was a, with basically the same cast that they did this time. It was one of the great experiences of my theater going life. I was completely enthralled. And as, as you know, the Irish rep is a very small house, about 140 seats. You know, intimacy is, it, you take intimacy for granted there. But to watch a play like Molly Sweeney sitting as I am sitting uh, at your kitchen table with headphones on, looking into a screen with three people addressing you directly and, and you're alone in the room. I have never known that kind of confessional intimacy in a theatrical performance. Um, yeah, the, the, the acting was, was staggering. I mean, Geraldine Hughes in particular, who played the title role, uh, is a, uh, she's a great actor, and it is a great play. But it is the circumstances that made this experience, for me, transcendent. Um, that, Terry, uh, was it... Um Terry, was it live or was it taped? No, it is taped. Uh, and they got an extension, uh, fortunately, after my review came out. They were able to add some performances. Fantastic. Um, it's um, not enough, unfortunately. The problem that we were talking about with Jeremy a few minutes ago prevails. I mean, there is a real... We are going to have to take some big steps before ventures like this can run long enough that they can have the kind of impact that they ought to have. But believe me, anybody who saw that Molly Sweeney, uh, and especially who saw it alone in a room, uh, saw something, well, the, the phrase I used in my review was it had a confessional intensity to it. Mm. And uh, mm. I won't soon forget that. Uh, that's uh, intriguing. Um, uh, I, um, Elizabeth, I wanted to go back for my uh, little moment to talk about what you saw, which totally uh, has uh, got me interested, which is the present at the Geffen Playhouse. Uh, I, uh -huh. I've written about it. I have not yet seen it because it's so sold out. They couldn't get me in until next week. But more importantly, and I wonder, you've seen it, correct? Yes. 
So part of what the process of this is the most intriguing part for me, or one of the most, is that the, the theater, so they do 25 people on a Zoom. It's eight mm-hmm. times a week, like a regular performance. But yep. what they do is before your performance, several days before, they mail out a box yes. to every yes. theater goer with mm-hmm. contents that you're supposed to open during the show. Yes. Yes. You open it at the beginning of the show. Yes. And I love this idea because it's great. So it, it, it without, you know, giving away the secrets because I'm going to do it. How did that work? Did it all work out well? Did it? And, well, and are you? Yes, it worked. It worked out great. Oh, and by the way, uh, I mean, the, I think the ticket price is, it looks a little steep. It's $85, which is kind of like, it's a real life ticket price. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but uh, you can also, more than one person can watch. Right. Like two of us watched it and I saw, I could see the others in the Zoom windows and there were families of four watching. And I assume they bought one ticket. I mean, maybe they bought more than one, but I assume... Uh, it doesn't make, except that one person is in charge of what's in the box. And that's very important. And and basically the idea of the box uh, is, as you know, if you've seen a magic show, they very often take volunteers in the audience yeah. um, who are randomly selected. Um, and uh, And the box helps with that. The box is important. What's in the box is important for that interactive element of the magic show, which is reproduced through that and so the there are volunteers who help out in the show and i have to say for the first time ever and i've seen a lot of magic shows i was picked as one uh-huh. randomly that's great well uh, and i cannot wait that we can discuss this because what happened to me in my participation kind of blew me away and i think i made faces for all to see. That's great. That's wonderful. But we can only see your head in this screen. Were you saw it in half? No, I was not saw it in half, but I I seriously, I, I think I may have said what the fuck. Woo! <laughs> I, I, I mean or something that's that I so mouthed cool. it. That it is was so cool. Great. Like, we, we should just like, say we were the, making that googly eyes at the screen. It was insane. Uh, it, it's uh, by the way, the magician is Helder Guimareth. Am I saying that right? Yes, 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 and, yes. And yes. he's uh, he's a sort of a cerebral magic person. No, I mean he's, he's got one a kind of these guys. He's one of those Ricky J kind of yeah. guys. Actually, I've seen one of his shows in New York called Verso, and it's very uh, it's very narrative driven. There's usually a story that he tells, and the magic comes in. It, the magic functions almost like a, a an illustration in an illustrated book. Got it, got so it, got it. he has a story and then he does tricks to illustrate that. And it, it worked incredibly well. Wow. In fact, what was great also was seeing the look on the people's face. Because obviously you can right. see everybody's faces. Right, right, that's cool. Uh, and what was great too is that we were encouraged to uh, not be mute. So we could clap and we clapped. Of course. So there That's was wonderful. this really this moment of um, it just that he had to remind us a few times to like we could clap and not talk. So mm. it felt very much like a real theater. <laughs> yeah. Where we got kind of carried away because we're all at home and people were like, oh, my God. And he well, was like, OK, please. You know. Well, I, I, anyway, it was great. I highly recommend it. Great. Well, I, I yielded my spot to your uh, to that uh <laughs> To that discussion of sorry, the present. I no, I, I, I wanted to hear more. That. I, I highly, more. I'm sure that, and there's like a waiting list. You can like, you know, yeah. put your name down it's, on a waiting list. It's running list through July now, July 3rd. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I bet it'll but, get extended uh, again. Or I mean, the, obviously there's very, uh, very few slots. There's, uh, yeah, I think it's, right. you're right. It's 20, 25, 25 something, yeah, like, something that. like that. Yeah, something like that. 
Anyway. But if you, and also I've heard of a couple of people uh, whose boxes did not arrive in time for their performances, and in which case I would highly recommend that you postpone. Yeah, they will reschedule you, you. You could do it without the box, but it's so much better with the box that it's not worth doing it Got without it. the box. Got uh, it. Smart. It's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, my goodness. Okay. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm very excited about magic all of a sudden. I think that's great. Uh, <laughs> that kind of enthusiasm is... As they say, infectious. Well, you know, it, we, we have to, it's one of those things where you're like, okay, well, things are pretty bleak, but there's still magic, card tricks. And, and laughter. And laughter. Yes, very much yes. so. Very much so. Well, it sounds like we're all keeping busy one way or another, but now it is time for us to go our separate ways and continue to look for new ways to engage with theater in the time of the pandemic. We'll let you know what we're seeing and hearing next time. Till then, I'm Terry Teachout. I'm Peter Marks. And I'm Elizabeth Vincentelli, and you've been listening to Three on the Isle, a podcast from New York about theater in America and in the virtual realms, hosted by American Theater Magazine, and our producer is Erica Wong. You can follow us on Twitter at Three on the Isle, spell it out, and write to us at threeontheisle at gmail.com. We are eager for your mail. Please let us know what other topics you'd like to hear on future episodes. And don't forget to leave a review or a rating on iTunes or Google Play. Thanks, as always, for listening. We'll be with you again soon from our home-based seats on the virtual aisle. <laughs>